When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Hi and welcome to the Moritz family home in Laurel Road. Uh, this morning, Palm Sunday, beginning of Holy Week, I just wanted to start out by saying a big warm welcome um, to everyone who's tuning in in YouTube, who's found us. It's great to have you here. And I wanted to offer a particular uh, welcome to all of the new people who wouldn't usually be with us. Um, geography doesn't permit you, perhaps, to make it to Loxheath. Um, and yet, via the wonders of the internet and the fact that we're filming everything because of coronavirus, uh, you've found us and you're here. It might be you found us because you're one of my friends or one of Katie's friends. You're really interested to see what it is that I get up to every Sunday, um, what I might have to say about the Bible. Um, or you're a member of my family and you're tuning in to give me a bit of moral support. So it's, it's great to have you. I'm also aware there's a whole bunch of people that maybe coming to a physical church building is a really difficult thing for you to do but turning on a YouTube video is much less threatening and so maybe you've always been curious about church and you uh, you've turned up this morning via YouTube because it's a lot easier for you to, to kind of switch off you know if you want to walk away um, you don't know nobody's looking at you wondering why you're walking out um, so yeah special welcome to you if you're not normally with us on a Sunday and you're here particularly because of this digital medium. In a way, this message is partly um, for you guys. So here goes. So, as I mentioned, we're in Holy Week. And Holy Week is the week that Christians celebrate the life of Jesus, particularly the last week of his life leading up to his ultimate execution on a cross. And then on Easter Sunday, we celebrate his rising from the dead, um, his resurrection. Um, but our reading from the Bible today um, looks at the beginning of that week um, where he enters the city of Jerusalem full of joy and celebration among the people who um, celebrate in a triumphal way his entry into the city. And I wanted to start by helping us just to imagine a little bit what it might have been like just in your mind's eye as I'm speaking, just picture being there, being part of the crowds in the city. Uh, what was it like to see Jesus coming in to the city? Well, first of all, Jerusalem at that time was a very crowded city, particularly since it was Passover. 
So there would have been a very large number of people crowding into the city, trying to make it to the temple to worship. And it would have been a bustling and jostling place. And the city today has eight gates. And it would have had many gates in Jesus' day too. Maybe not eight, I'm not quite sure. But certainly there would have been a large number. And, you know, Jesus coming through one of them and all of his supporters there at that point laying down their cloaks and laying down palm leaves to celebrate him they were cheering him but many of the other parts of the city wouldn't have even noticed him coming in and even those that did see him coming in some of them were obviously for him his followers there was some religious elites there the religious establishment who were very skeptical and nervous of Jesus they'd been following his ministry closely sort of worried that this kind of cult leader as they see him is spreading lies about God and they're concerned from their point of view. But then I think probably the majority of people in the city were not exactly aware who Jesus was. You know this wasn't a day where we had Twitter and social media and everyone could kind of share pictures of each other. Here's this guy coming in on a donkey and a whole load of people are shouting and cheering. And they may have heard rumours about some guy called Jesus, possibly even what he's like, what he does, what he's about, miracles, healings. But they may have been completely oblivious to him. And so they're seeing this man coming through the town and really what they're asking is, who is this man? Who is this man? Why are people celebrating and cheering him? What is going on? And that question, who is this man, is an important one for us this morning. So hold on to that question because we'll come back to it. Now it's important also to say that at this time you've got to remember that Jesus has been wandering around the small provincial towns around the city for a, for a while now. His ministry is growing and there's a sense in which as he comes into Jerusalem that his ministry is climaxing. He's just um, raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. This is a pretty amazing miracle um, that speaks somewhat of his own resurrection to come and so there is a sense in which Jesus' ministry has been building and building up until this point and this final week is the climax of all that happened. The other thing to mention is the donkey. Um, it's very clear from the scripture that, that Jesus was well aware um, of the fact that this donkey, part of the symbolism of this donkey was about showing himself to be a humble king, to come in um, to the city and not with power, not with pomp and ceremony and influence if you like, but just to come in meekly and, and mildly on the back of a donkey. And yet somehow this symbolism, it's only the scratches the surface of what Jesus was also saying. You see, um, Matthew, the, the, the scriptures, the reading from the Bible that we had, quotes directly from Zechariah 9, which is a prophecy about um, Israel's king coming to them, riding on the back of a young donkey. Jesus knew this, and the crowd will have known this. It wouldn't have been lost on them. So they're seeing this guy, people are seeing this guy coming in on the back of a donkey, and they're going, ah, oh, this guy thinks he's something. He thinks he's the one, the saviour, the messiah. And also, if you read 1 Kings 1, you'll see that Solomon similarly rode uh, a mule, a lowly animal, not, not, not a horse. And actually, what Jesus is saying by, by riding a, a lowly animal like a donkey is that, look, 
I am Solomon, I am the son of David. David being the big and kind of mighty king that was at the height of um, Israel's success as a nation. And so what we really need to read into this, um, or to picture in this moment, is picture yourself in the crowd as one of those people going, who is this man? And Jesus is already, just by being on a donkey, saying some things about what he thinks about himself and who he thinks he is. Now you might have tuned in two weeks ago and heard me speaking then. And two weeks ago I spoke about something called kairos. Kairos is a Greek word for time, um, but it doesn't mean watch time, clock time. It means kind of a God moment, a moment in time. A moment, in fact, of choosing something I mentioned two weeks ago. And I also said that Jesus really is the ultimate Kairos moment uh, in history. And, you know, on Palm Sunday, it's kind of the pinnacle of choosing for a whole lot of people who were there looking at the life of Jesus. It was their moment to choose their side, to choose what they thought about him. You know, the crowds were asking, who is this man? Well, eventually they had to decide who he was. And do you know what? So do we. We also have to decide who is this man. Well, Jesus clearly had his own ideas about who he was. We see, even in this passage, that he clearly is indicating to other people that he thinks he is the Messiah, Messiah being the Saviour. It's even in his name. Uh, Jesus, if you say in Jewish, is Yeshua, um, Joshua perhaps, which means one who saves. But I think Jesus thought he was more than just the Saviour. You know, Jesus went around forgiving people's sins. The religious authorities thought that was blasphemous because, well, because forgiving someone's sins is something only God can do. So Jesus clearly thought he was God. He also said that, you know, he's always existed and that he's coming back at the end of time. Those are things you only say if you have some idea that, that your nature is divine. And uh, C.S. Lewis had a lot to say about this. He had a very interesting quote, because if Jesus thinks he's the Messiah, and if he thinks he's divine, it poses us with a problem. In fact, C.S. Lewis called it a trilemma, not just a dilemma. And just as a little aside, C.S. Lewis, you're, you're wondering why I'm talking about him in, in theology terms, because um, you think of him as perhaps this guy who wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. But as many of you know, he was a very serious Christian thinker and theologian. And uh, if you... If you just want to understand him a bit better, go and reread or watch perhaps The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the Narnia stories. But now instead of seeing Aslan just as a lion, see him as Jesus and suddenly you'll realise that the whole set of those stories is allegorical. So it's so really interesting to look at those stories knowing that, that Lewis was trying to say something about his faith. But anyway, I digress. There's a quote from Lewis. Lewis said this. And I'm sure a lot of people think the same thing. So it's a really interesting argument that he's making. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. 
That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. I consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. C.S. Lewis's trilemma is, is the three options. Either Jesus is mad, he's bad, or he's God. Those are the options open to us. And so if we're asking that question, who is this man? Those are the three answers that we can come up with. You know, one of the things that we might try and do, we might already be doing, is just sort of avoiding the question, not really thinking about it. But, you know, if you think about the fact that two billion Christians, two billion of us, worship this man every Sunday, many of us listening to this message right now, Jesus has always had and continues to have a global significance. A significance that's enough to not ignore, to certainly not ignore the question of who is he. So I don't think we can just gloss over the concept of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and say it doesn't really matter, or he was one of many. If he was God, if he really was God, that is at least worth exploring, and you know Whichever of those conclusions we come to, he's mad, or he's bad, or he's God, there's a consequence also, isn't there? Because if we conclude that he's mad or bad, then really we have to do something about the two billion Christians out there who are completely deluded. I have a lot of respect for Richard Dawkins, funny enough. We disagree, obviously, on a great many matters, but, but Dawkins, author of The God Delusion, has come to the conclusion that Jesus was mad and possibly a bit bad too and and he's doing what is the right response to that conclusion which is to try to convince everybody with all his might that they are completely deluded and they need to change their path. Of course on the flip side if you come to the conclusion like I have that he is, he was God then there's a consequence to that too and that consequence is to connect with him to make and build a relationship with him because he's still alive and to worship him with all your heart. In fact, if we go back to the passage of the Bible that we've been reading today, that's the response of the crowd who've decided that he is who he says he is. They worship him with palm leaves and with cloaks. And that is a good response if we decide, if we think the answer to who is this man is who he said he was, which is... God, the Messiah, the one who saves us.
So, for many of us watching, we might come to the right and good conclusion that actually we don't have enough info. We don't have enough knowledge to really answer that question, who is this man? And so it's perfectly legitimate to say, well, we, we don't really know. But actually, we're necessitated by the gravity of this question to respond by investigating, finding out some more information. If we need answers, let's go look for them, because there's quite a few out there. When one good place to start might be something called Alpha. A lot of you will have heard of Alpha. Alpha is an international course that's being run in lots and lots of churches all around the world. Um, sadly, we've had to cut short some of our Alpha courses early because of the coronavirus, but I know Alpha, the organisation, is working very hard um, to launch some online versions of the courses. What it is, it's usually done over a meal um, and a video, and it's a chance to ask questions and to chat about God, about his potential existence or non-existence, about Jesus and who he was and the Bible and all of the questions that you have whirring around in your mind that lead you to say, well, I don't really have enough information to answer that question of who is Jesus. They're, they kind of come up in the Alpha Course, difficult questions like why suffering and those kinds of things. And it may well be that we are able to run an online version of Alpha quite soon here from St John's. Um, watch this space, we'll see what happens with that. But in the meantime, um, if you can't get on an Alpha course online, what about picking up just picking up your Bible? And if you're going to start, don't start in Genesis at the beginning. Start perhaps with the book of Mark. It's the shortest of four stories about the life of Jesus. A really great place to start if you want to investigate some pretty reliable sources about well, who is Jesus and what is his life about. I'd like to say as well though that at some point knowledge in your head kind of runs out of usefulness. There's, there's always going to be more questions. I wholeheartedly support Alpha. It's a great way of exploring some of those deep questions that need answering. But there will always be another question. Sometimes there is a moment where you have to take a leap of faith. You know, there's something that it, they say in Alpha which is really interesting. And, and that is that, you take my wife who's upstairs working at the moment. See, I know my wife. I could read a book about her that says all sorts of things about her. But there's a fundamental difference between knowing the kind of knowing stuff about her and being in relationship with her. And... And knowing God is, is like that, it's a relationship. It's not about the questions that I can answer in an Alpha course, but something fundamentally different about knowing God to answering questions about Him. You know, when I first made the decision myself to turn to God in faith, uh, there was a preacher speaking that day, and, and he said two things that were really helpful in this for me. The first was that he, he likened being in a relationship with God to being like a mobile phone. He says, look, I don't know how it works. How many of us know how our mobile phones actually work if we really boil it down to the detailed science? Not many of us, okay? He says, I don't know how it works, but I know how to work it. 
And I think that's the point, isn't it? You don't need to know how a mobile phone works in order to pick it up and use it. You don't need to know the detailed questions that you might have. They don't all need answering before you can engage with it. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a relationship with God, and you've got a lot of questions in your mind, to perhaps, like a mobile phone, pick it up and have a go. Engage with it. But you don't need to have all your questions answered before you dive in. And the other thing that he said that has stuck with me and I found so, so helpful, is he said, he, he gave a bit of a testimony, a testimony about his own coming to faith. And he said he was in a bath one day. The guy was a, a Zen practicing, South African Zen practicing Buddhist type person. And, and he said that I was sat in the bath one day and just feeling really miserable and wondering about God. And, and I said to him, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life. And, and in that moment, God just entered the room in a way that he could sense his presence in his heart, a, a sense of warmth and love. He sh that's what he shared anyway. And I think that question that he asked is a really good and humble and helpful one because it just says, it's just open to the possibility that there is a God. God, if you are real, if you are real, come into my life. So, you know, I'd like to invite you to pray that prayer as well. God, if you're real, I want to know you. Come into my life if you're real. You know, you might find it helpful to know or maybe surprising to know that, that I'm quite a cynical person. I have a lot of questions and I really struggle sometimes to even believe that God's really there, that he really exists. You might be shocked by that. But you know, I, I keep on asking that same question because I find personally that question really helpful for me. If you're real, come into my life. You can't pray that prayer honestly and not be open-hearted and open-minded. So I really want to invite you to join me now as I pray that prayer again. Echo that prayer in your heart and see what happens. Come open-heartedly to God and say this together. God, I really want to know you. I want to see you. Reveal yourself to me. If you are real, God, come into my life. Come into my heart. Amen. You know, in that moment you might have felt something. You might be a ball of tears on the floor right now as I'm speaking. But, but the chances are that the earth didn't move. Nothing major happened. Perhaps you felt some warmth as I prayed. And that's wonderful. Please get in touch with us and let us know what's happening in your life. But at the same time, if nothing happened for you in that exact moment, I want you to be on guard because... If there's one thing that I can say, that is, God loves to answer open-hearted, honest prayers like that. And I'd be very surprised if you get to the end of this week without seeing something of God moving in your life in some way. It may not look quite like you expect it to. It may be um, happening or coming through a person, through someone else, or through something. But be on the lookout. Be ready. Because God wants to do something in your life. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know him. And if you've prayed that prayer honestly and openly, he'll make the right opportunity this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for streaming with us on YouTube. And 
um, we'll see you next week.